Hello and welcome to the podcast, What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT with me, Jeremy Crook. This is a show where my guests and I will share with you our experiences, both good and bad, of life as a new teacher. Today, I'm talking to Zoe Knott, who has almost completed her teacher training. Now, usually I talk to teachers who are already full-time in their careers, but I recently spoke to Zoe's mentor, and she said such positive things about her, I thought it would be a great idea to get her along to tell us how her training is going. Now, Zoe has always had a passion for teaching. She was inspired by her time in primary school, as she had some amazing teachers. And she particularly remembers being in year three, when she had the most fantastic gear. And she loved that teacher so much that there and then she decided that she wanted to be a teacher when she grew up. And here she is. Zoe, welcome. It's good to be talking to you. Hello, Jeremy. How's things? They're all good, thank you. How are you? Uh, Yeah, I'm good too, thank you. I'm very excited to hear about this year three teacher. What Uh, was it about that teacher that so inspired you? She was wonderful, Jeremy. She was so passionate and she had a love for PE, especially netball. Although I don't play Hey, I love netball. (laughs) I used to coach netball for 10 years. Oh, wow. (laughs) At a netball club. My daughter said, Dad, if we don't have a coach, our team's going to fold. You've taught netball at school, haven't you? Why don't you come along and do it? Ten years later, they'd all both buzzed off, of course, to other things. I was still there coaching. Brilliant. That's fantastic. Sorry, you were saying she loved netball. (laughs) She loved netball. One of my fondest memories was um, being given the option to go outside. It was a cold, wet uh, windy winter's day and we had the opportunity to stay in the classroom where it was lovely and warm or go outside and do PE and a select few of us chose to go out and do PE and have a little mini netball tournament and then coming back into the classroom it was very warm and hardly any of us could do our shirt buttons up because our fingertips were so cold but she was so passionate she said you can do this you've got this let's let's go let's go and have fun yeah did she did she go out in the cold Absolutely, yeah. In short, oh, I love her then. <laughs> I love her then. Uh, it was it was great. When I was an NQT, I always knew when my mentor was going to be teaching outdoor PE because she had her fur coat on. Oh, um, <laughs> no, no. <laughs> uh, her fur coat and high heels. Vera, oh, I'm wow. sure you remember that. If you're listening, Vera, I used to say, "I've got my tracksuit on, Vera. I'm going to do PE." She said, "Why have you got that? I wear my fur coat." <laughs> <laughs> No, shorts and t-shirt all the way, trainers, running trainers, no matter what the weather was, we were outside or yeah, doing that's something. Yeah, so, that's so impressive. So what was she like in the classroom? In the classroom, she was very creative. She loved she loved a bit of art and music every now and again. But the, um, she absolutely loved doing pottery and clay work. And it was a bonus to have the kiln in our classroom. Yeah. So that was great fun. So we could watch them sort of through the bars. That's it. All being air dried. And that was great fun. She oh, I'm, I'm loving her, you know, because uh, <laughs> and, I, and I'm loving what you say. It just takes me back. We were so creative. I remember, yeah. you know, when I started my primary teaching career, 
schools were so creative and we've lost so much i think there are certain teachers who work desperately hard to hold on to that creativity and do it brilliantly whilst of course getting great standards in english and maths and in, and in the other subjects too because we have to have great standards but you can get great standards without boring the pants off children can't you <laughs> and by exciting them she certainly did that and especially when you mentioned English as well I do remember in an English lesson finding it very tricky and she would read different extracts from books um, to sort of prompt us and help us and then there would be lots of working walls now I know why there are displays and things for Absolutely. my <laughs> how to and, use them effectively <laughs> yeah and proper proper working walls that children proper actually use walls. not displays it's interesting. I'd, I've been in working uh, out of Essex this week and, and been to a few schools and I'm very interesting where their classrooms were just displays and the children didn't really use anything that was on display to support them with their learning. And, and one of the questions I raised was, why not? Why do you just have them as displays and the children don't use them at all? And they weren't sure, really, if I'm honest, but I think they're going to going to start some work on that now to implement Good. them so that they're really effective for children's learning so so have you had much experience working with children before you started your teacher training I have Jeremy I did two years at college doing my cash level three um diploma where I did lots of different work, um placements in different nurseries so I what was, it, what was with... your cash level three in what does that even mean cash so level a... three so it's uh, childcare and education. It's a diploma to work with children, which oh, then right. gives you um, something to then enter a nursery. So sort of like a, a degree to go into teaching. You do a childcare qualification to then go and work in a nursery or as an LSA, or you can right. enter lots of different occupations with that. Was that fascinating? Was it? That was yeah. That was tough. I had an eighteen-month-old at the time as well. So that was very tricky, trying to juggle an 18-month-old child as well as going to college three days a week and doing two placement days as well. Yeah. So I'm sort of used to that as well. But then I got into nursery and I worked, got a job at my last placement, which I did at college, and they offered me a job. So I accepted, and luckily my daughter could come with me, and I was a key person there with various responsibilities um, with a small group of key children who are now in year six and entering year seven wow year. that's great isn't it i love i love i love seeing children again who you've taught five ten fifteen twenty years ago and and seeing what they've become and uh and and the sort of agonies that parents go through worrying will they be okay will is that going to be okay which of course I'm sure you recognize and I totally recognize because you think oh my children are bothered what's going on what's going am I being a good parent here and all that stuff and then you see how they turn out and you think this is just incredible these amazing people and I've played a small part in that in that process probably quite a big part as a parent of course but uh Absolutely. but as a worker with them you know, you 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 really make a difference, don't you? And you feel very proud of their achievements when you see them in, in the community as well and in the local villages that we live in. And when you bump into them, you think, oh, how are you getting on? What are you doing? And they tell you and you're just, you think, oh, I was a small part of your little journey and I'm very proud of where you are now and what you've achieved so far. And yes, it's very... Yeah, that, that, that's really important. And, and And we're right to take pride, you know. 
you don't get oh, a lot yeah. of pats on the back, do you? No. As, <laughs> as someone who works in education, and and it's definitely right that we should say, yeah, well, actually, that's why I do it, and that's the value of it, and and it's a good feeling. It is. So, what about <laughs> after that? Then you did cash. So cash after level that, three. Cash level three. I then went on to work in in a local primary school in Braintree um, for nearly four years. I started off as a one to one LSA with a child with Down syndrome, and then right. upon my return in one of the years that I went off, I came back and worked as a early years intervention lady. So completing maths interventions, um, supporting them through the COVID pandemic. So was that challenging? Was that I mean the whole lockdown thing has been Oh yes. Oh, so difficult, it's, hasn't it, for everyone and, and and desperately difficult for the children. It's very tricky when especially at, at their age and early years, when they're sort of four and five years old and you're their teacher and you're on their their screen and they don't want to come to the screen because they're in their home environment mm. and you're trying to make them and encourage them to learn. And it's very difficult trying to get that engagement and trying to pitch it correctly for them in their home environment, but also making it engaging and fun, but also effective at the same time so that they gain something from it and improve. Yeah, it's it's massively difficult. My daughter, one of my daughters, is a speech and language therapist and uh, and she works with young children. And, oh, crikey, I, and I was watching her in lockdown oh. trying, like you said, to engage them, pitch it at the right level, get them to to be involved and and really focused in the session and oh blimey you know how she did it and there's a three-year-old squirming around smearing his face with marmite whilst she's trying (laughs) to go so let me see you do this show me your mouth shape you know and uh trying to entertain them shall we play this game now look on the screen what can you see on the screen that was immensely difficult with one let alone when you're trying to do it with a class of children it's very tricky. Story time was very fun. And especially as children are far better at technology than you are. If you're on a story time with probably up to 60 children mm. and they're drawing over your face and they're creating <laughs> backgrounds, it's, it's <laughs> great fun. It's very entertaining for all. <laughs> well, you, well, you know they're engaged. You're just not sure what they're engaged in. No. That's the thing. So you've had so you've had loads of practice then, loads of practice preschool, loads of practice in school. Yeah. But but you're the teacher now. So how's the training going? Is it what you thought? What makes it great? Oh, what makes it great is my mentors and my external mentors, the children as well. They are first and foremost what makes everything fantastic, all through the ups and downs as well. Um, the training plan is fantastic. It's my ever long to-do list that never gets completed. And I've learned to come to terms with that now as someone who likes to complete their to-do list. But it's great. You fun. can't. I, <laughs> you I read can't. a book when I was a head when I first became a head teacher, it was called something like Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. The opening page, I think, said something like, On the day you die, your inbox is full. Stop worrying about the inbox. <laughs> Just pick the bits of help that really need doing and are worth doing and forget the rest of the stuff until you've got some time. But don't beat yourself up for it. And uh, okay. that, was so, that was so good. My finance manager used to come in and say, uh, got the DFE on the phone. Have you uh, have you finished this survey thing they asked for? 
And I said, oh, can you tell them? I said, it's in my in-tray somewhere, isn't it? Can you tell them I haven't received it and can they send it again? Um, because <laughs> talk about a waste of your time, you know, the DFE saying, do you serve fish fingers or whatever it was, you know? So what? So I've done all these degrees and my MPQH and I've got to fill out a survey. Well, I don't think there's much point in that, really. So, uh, so you're right. Yeah, have your list. Just make sure you're brilliant at prioritizing. That's right, isn't it? Yeah, prioritizing things. I know that when I go into a new week, I make sure that I prioritize things. So, making sure that everything that needs to be done today or tomorrow is first on the list, and everything that can be left to the end of the week or over towards the end of the week is sort of at the bottom of the list it's still yeah. there and then still and then there. you shift it to the bottom of the list next week yes and then the but... bottom of the list the week after that and you then you realize it wasn't worth doing in the first place so <laughs> so I'll just let it drop off and it will come back onto the list at some point but really it's pointless when Ofsted used to come to my school I used to get everything on my desk and sweep it into one of those big plastic boxes and then put it in the boot of my car. And then three months later, I'd realise it was still in the boot of my car, and I hadn't needed anything that I'd swept in there. <laughs> so then I just got it out of the boot of my car, shredded it, and then I had a tidy desk. Lovely. That's it was a fantastic, <laughs> It was a fantastic way of doing it. Let's get back in the classroom rather than my office, my oh. exceptionally tidy office. Um <laughs> Any wow moments do you have? Is it is it wow when you're in there, you know? It is. Do, Having that trust as well to take over your mentor's class and, and treat them as your own is just... That's quite a big thing, isn't it? Amazing. Yeah. It's very... It's, it is very much built on trust and support and positivity as well as making those mistakes as well. We have a climate not only for the children in the classroom but for me and the adults as well that it's okay to make those mistakes and that's how we learn from them and it's okay to keep running until you go oh now it's time to adapt and and sort of oh rein that back in again how quick can we can we think on our feet and that's something that I've learned this term going through the full days of teaching as well now mm. which is lovely and very rewarding but taking on those tips of making sure you're prepared the night before don't yep. waste the queue of the printer in the morning. Do it the night before if you can. Um, and having a, a not a rigid agenda because you have to keep it very adaptable and make notes, but just having sort of that routine that you can go, oh, what's next? Oh, yes, let's keep going. Yeah, the then. routines, the routine's vital, isn't it? Without it, without the routine, I used to think, you know, I've always been a bit of a maverick and and when I was a teacher, I thought, oh, I don't know, who wants a routine? I want to do something different every day. And then <laughs> after about two days, you realise, my goodness, this place is a madhouse. I need a routine. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and that's so important. What year are you teaching at the moment? I'm in year two at the moment. Right. And this week I'm heading to early years. Yay! <laughs> and the, the, oh, that'll be great, won't it? Early years. That's where I used to go when I'd had a hard day. <laughs> I'd go to early years and just perk you up no end. I mean, you could go into any class in truth and because the children were just always wonderful to be with. But uh, but early years, if you want to, you know, you're fed up, go and climb in a cardboard box and pretend you're in a giant's house. How nice is that? Yeah, so, so I'm sure you're going to have a great time there. 
So, oh. so this making mistake thing. So, so how do you handle that then? You make a mistake in front of the children, because uh, oh. I used to be quite embarrassed if I did that when I started, and and of course now I say to everyone, making mistakes is so important, and don't worry because if you worry about it, then children will worry when they make mistakes, and if they worry when they make mistakes then they will learn less well because they won't try things that they think you might frown about. Oh, yes. No, I've made a few mistakes so far because that's how we learn. And then I make sure that I point them out to the children as well. So if there's a mistake on the PowerPoint or I've said a mistake in the wording that I've used, I've gone, oh, Mrs. Knott's made a mistake. That's how I'm still learning. You make mistakes. They're just a learning point. It's not a oops moment or I'm going to be in trouble it's an okay thing to make mistakes that's how we learn that's how we move forward and then we know that we might not make that mistake again hopefully yeah and what if they do make the mistake again that's okay does Mrs not get cross (laughs) no Mrs not doesn't get cross what does Mrs (laughs) not say then she says oh you have made a mistake let's have a little look at what what we can do to improve how can we learn from this and then we'll talk through slowly the correct vocabulary or whatever the sort of concept is that we can address and then we'll move forward and we'll say oh this is how we are going to correct our mistake can we do that together do you need to do it on your own and then sometimes we have made it with those children that can tolerate a little bit of a joke or a sort of humor with them that oh you're not going to make that mistake and but very very little or can you point out my mistake? Have I done it again? Oh, yes, maybe. That's the environment you want to learn in, isn't it? I, I used to be scared at school. And, and of course, because you were scared, then you didn't try things. And, mm. you know, that was when I wasn't sent out of the class, of course. And, and then you think, oh, blimey, what's this all about, really? And then when you get in your own class, very quickly you realise, I can only get these children to really, really try hard and learn loads if they like being in here. Absolutely. I remember on one of my PowerPoints recently, I was the um, learning objective was to um, recognise the equivalence of two quarters and one half. And on my later slides, I had put one quarter and one half on every single slide. So I thought, oh, no, I've made mistakes. And then I showed them so that they could all have a little giggle. And then we adapted it onto a whiteboard and sat in a circle and said, we're not going to make the same mistake as Mrs. Knott because we're not making a one quarter. We're doing two quarters today and one half. We need to make sure we look at that top number together and correct Mrs. Knott if you need to. But they loved it. Yeah. And, and that, I mean, that's so important, isn't it? I, I was chatting to someone the other day about joy and, you know, about loving what you're doing. And um, and we were talking about the agenda, the sort of government agenda, which is quite punitive in a way, I think, and quite oppressive and quite top down. And and we, we were just saying, when you've got six-year-olds or eight-year-olds or 10-year-olds, they've got to have a good time, haven't they? They can't be expected to come into school. I know they've got to learn successfully, but they can't be expected to come into school and be ridiculously serious about everything. And, and sit there quietly and, and studiously because they're little children and they need to behave like little children. One of the schools I, I was in in Liverpool, oh, my goodness, I would happily still be there in their early years department 
it was the most joyous place of fairy lights and oh. trees in the classroom and comfy seats and little chairs. It was like Goldilocks and the Three Bears, you know. There was a chair for everybody and comfy corners and things growing and, and the most wonderful outdoor area I've ever seen. It oh, was like wow. forest schools made into an outdoor area. So there were there were trees lying on their sides so the children could climb up the trunks as if they were, you know, little stairways up to the giant's castle, you know, rather oh. than going up a runner bean. It was just a, a wonderful place. After 10 minutes, I said, oh, I've got to go, but I don't want to go because there was a lot of classes in this <laughs> school I had to visit. And I said, I'd happily stay here all day. This is just the sort of environment you'd hope any child would have. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and that's what we've got to aim for, isn't it? Just tell us a bit more about being in charge of the class yourself. What was it like on that first day when you, as the trainee teacher, and probably the class teacher, your mentor was in there with you, and then you're taking over? What's that feeling? Oh, it's lovely. It's very nerve-wracking as well, and making sure that you're sort of making that eye contact and checking in every now and again just to make sure that we're okay and am I doing okay at the front standing here on my own whilst <laughs> you're watching me but it, it, it's lovely it's it's we've got that element of support and trust and I get on so well with my mentor she's fantastic if I do need a little bit of support I can just go oh Miss Whiteman can you help me please or is that okay have I can I check with you that I've taught this right to the children or do, could you cast your opinion on something and it's just lovely to have that relationship with your mentor and know because yeah, that that's the, that's the best sort of mentorship isn't it as Absolutely. you are actually working in the classroom they're coaching you and, yes and and you go to them and say I don't know what to do now and they say radio come on then I'll come and model it for you and, <laughs> and now you have a go at doing it and and the power of that you know I, I'm lucky enough that I work in one school in East London and and the head says to me I just want um you can do what you like today Go, go and have a focus on Upper Key Stage 2 and go and chat to the teachers, see what they're up to and just model a few things if you think they need it or answer their questions as they're working. Oh, and, and the teachers, it's it's quite interesting. It's the only school, really, where I go where the teachers moan if I haven't been into the classroom to see them. They, they get to lunchtime. They say, are you coming to me? I say, oh, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I've got time today. Oh, come on. You've got, I've been looking forward to you coming. And it's just because the head teachers created this wonderful environment where everyone is treated as a real professional. And, and therefore, to be a real professional, you have to have proper CPD where there's someone there who can guide and advise and coach and share their experience. And, oh, she's created this lovely environment, resisting all the pressures of people saying, we're coming to do a mock Ofsted. We're coming to do this. And she goes, you're not. We don't need you, thanks very much. I'll I'll get by on my own. I don't need a mock Ofsted. You're welcome to come and go around the classes. But if you think you're coming in and filling out forms of stuff and then upsetting my staff with feedback, forget it. And uh, <laughs> and, and that sounds very much like what you're experiencing. It is. And I remember telling the children that I'm still learning as well. So it's okay that if I do check in with their teacher and say, can you help me? That's okay. And one of the children said, 
oh, so you're not a teacher then? And I said, no, not a qualified teacher. I'm a trainee teacher. I'm still learning how to teach children. And her comment back to me was, oh, you're a very nice lady. Oh, sweet. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> I'm so nice. <laughs> what else? Have you had anything else that things children say to you where you go, oh, that's lovely? Yeah, in one of my observations, I had... Um, my external mentor sat next to me and one of the children turned around and said oh I get it now I have switched on my brain <laughs> oh good stuff and I thought brilliant please and your external mentor say, said have you told him to say that <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> no they're great children the things they come out with they're cracking and they know that they can say those sorts of things to me because I'll just respect them and listen to them and hear their voices it's lovely to have that environment that it's okay to talk to your teacher yes on task try and keep on task but just have those sort of informal discussions with them as well about their own hobbies and yeah life. their world their life and their environment yeah. there is life beyond school isn't there and, oh yes and and their life really matters to them of course and to have a teacher who's really interested in the thing that matters most to them of all, you know, you've mentioned trust several times now. Well, that's that's a real powerful way, isn't it, of developing trust oh, to yes. be to be that person who says, I hear you. I, yeah. How interesting. What a good thing to do. What an interesting thing to do. Oh, no, that's terrible. Your goldfish has died. I'm so sorry to hear that. And all yeah. those things, instead of saying, well, come on, we've got we've got a bit of spag to do here. What do you think of spag? I know that there's real value in some of it. I used to like the spag when I was because it was introduced when I was still head teachering. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, this is good. This is really good stuff. It's it's all relevant. It's all worth having. And then because all the children were scoring too highly, we've then got to introduce things that people who take English degrees haven't heard of. What's your view on it? And what do the children think of it? I am very much sat on the fence with SPAG. I like to sit there and observe the lesson, and that's when I love SPAG. I think it's brilliant when I'm observing, but when I'm teaching it, I find it hard. I think your subject knowledge has to be very, very full. You have to know what you're talking about um, and how you're teaching it as well. But I like how we do it at our school because it's very creative and very practical so that they're always learning. They're not always sat writing their... Right, so, so run us through, sorry to interrupt you, but run us through a sort of a little skeleton of a creative spag lesson because this could be revolutionary for lots of people um at the beginning we do a revised part so something that the children have already learnt we may do sort of a spinner on the interactive whiteboard we'll put 10 words that they've learnt with a particular spelling rule on and we'll they will have to write four words onto their whiteboard as a bingo and we'll spin the wheel and one will get eliminated and they have to sort of read the word make sure they know which spelling rule has been applied it's a little bit of an opportunity to discuss it with peers then we'll move on to our common exception words or homophones um and we'll run through them whether it's having key areas in the room with bits of paper on that they go and move around the room doing a, a focused activity 
they'll come back to the carpet. Then we'll go on to a spelling rule and we'll go in depth. And I've learnt how sometimes it's it's better to tell them exactly what that rule is rather than question them. They need to know that new learning. Mm. And rather than going all the way around roundabouts and everything, you need to be really specific and key. And sometimes in those lessons, it's important to tell them the spelling rule and then they can apply it at the end. Yeah, that's so important, isn't it? As long as we don't tell them too much so their brains explode. I, I sometimes watch teachers and I say, just tell them they don't know this. Your questioning is really good because you're finding eight different ways to get them to think. The trouble is they haven't got anything to think about because they don't know the answer. So it doesn't matter how many times you question them. So I said, golden rule when you're questioning. If you feel that the children don't know something that they need to know, just tell them, model it. Give them that visual image of it, and Mm -hmm. then you can ask them to use it. But there's no point trying to get them to explain something that they don't know. Absolutely not. They need to to have time to process that information and then apply it in whichever activity or form you you choose. You're a SPAG fan then? When, When I'm observing, I'm a SPAG fan. When I'm teaching, not so much. I find SPAG quite tricky sometimes as my mentor would agree with me. Yeah. It um, has its ups and downs. It's like a little roller coaster spag. Some weeks it's great. Some weeks it's not so great. But as she says, it will come with practice. And over time, you develop that. By the end, I think... It's all about little by little. And then in about 30 years, you'll think, crikey, I I teach great spag lessons (laughs) every time. Absolutely. Because I'm a, a, you know... (laughs) trainees are so hard on themselves aren't they they say uh, oh and I'm, oh, I've only improved yeah. a little bit and I say to all my trainees well you've only got to improve a little bit but a little bit every day and I used to say that to my teachers I used to oh, say yeah. we're all just going to improve a little bit every day because then in a hundred days wow how good we're gonna be so uh, <laughs> I think that's a really good thing have you ever had a disaster with spag I I have. Yes, it was absolute complete disaster. It was my first head teacher's observation. The laptop wouldn't connect to the whiteboard. The laptop then stopped working. The board wouldn't turn on. The children were a little bit busy. Behaviour management was going out the window because we were trying to focus on laptops and everything else whilst trying to keep an eye on the children and keeping tabs on what they were doing as well um and then I did lose my train of thought as well and thought oh this has happened in my first teacher's observation what am I going to do and then after that it it pulled it together a bit and there was some learning I wouldn't say it was great well good if there was some that's good there was some (laughs) I mean we we do rely horrifically on interactive boards don't we we do Um, yeah and and having a pen and a flip chart, actually, for any teacher worth their salt, and I don't mean trainee teachers, because those sorts of things just throw you completely, don't they, when the technology yes. doesn't work, because you think, actually, I haven't got a range of approaches without the technology because I haven't got enough experience. No, and, uh, and that's when I thought, don't rely on technology, and into my planning, I now go, if technology doesn't work, hey, nice. what I will do. <laughs> 
well, that's really good if you can think that the technology might not work, so I'm going to have a, a backup plan. Crikey, I'm very impressed by that, Zoe. No wonder your mentor thought a lot of you. So what else you got? Are we going to have to finish quite soon because time always races away when we're having a chat? Have you got anything, any other great tips for people, things that I learned in term two that that you have to get to terms to. with? So you need to prioritise your workload as planning and teaching um, increases. You make sure that you are planning your workload, but also looking after yourself as well. So making sure you're not working during the day and then going home and still continuing your laptop. You need to take time for yourself. That's really important, especially when your workload increases, because you're still human. You're still you. You still have people around you, family, whoever that may be. To yeah, you support. do, because you, you've got a young family, haven't yeah. you? And and that's a real challenge, I should think, isn't it, as a trainee? It is. You can't just go home and switch your laptop on when I get home. I have no. to wait until they're in bed, and then choose whether it's a good time to switch on the laptop and be very effective in what I need to do or whether I should park it for an, for another day but I know that if I need that time I can always ask my mentor and if I say please can I just go and have an hour to go and get some bits done or catch up then I can and that's what you can do in your teacher training year always ask if you're not sure on anything just always ask no matter how silly and I've asked very silly questions. No, you haven't, okay. have you? They say, don't they? They say the only silly question is the one you don't ask. Yes. Because, and then you'll because look if you're and that's what I was like at school. I used to have endless questions, hundreds. <laughs> I never asked them. I used to think you just get told off if you ask questions. Oh no. So so and then of course, classic. I was that classic schoolboy. I then messed about because I thought, well, I don't understand what's going on. I then asked the question because you get mocked, so I'll just mess about then. We, we used oh, to yeah. play bridge in one of my at secondary school. We were quite keen on bridge, and one of the teachers used to just read out of a book for 40 minutes. Oh. So four of us at the back had a little bridge school going on, that, uh, <laughs> which was uh, a very good use of our time and intellectually very good. Didn't help us learn that subject, of course, but uh, but it was a good thing. <laughs> it was a good way of spending forty minutes rather than write down everything the teacher said. <laughs> Absolutely, it's been super talking to you, Zoe, and uh, and I can see why why your mentor loves you, and I can see why you're going to be a great teacher because you're just you're so relaxed as well with everything. You're not well. I know you're shaking your head. You can't see her, listeners. She's shaking her head here, but <laughs> but 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 you come over as the calmest of persons. You say the calmest of people. Yeah, the calmest of people, and uh, it might not be what you feel inside because people always said that to me. I had to give a speech. I became president of my old boys association on Saturday. <laughs> oh and wow! And, and someone said, "Can you send me your speech? You know, for vetting." I said, well, I can't because I haven't written one. And I'm just going to make it up on the spot. And we had a guest speaker, of course. It was wonderfully entertaining. And then uh, and then he said, had you thought about that speech? I said, well, I knew I was going to talk about the qualities of a great president. And I was going <laughs> to talk about some old presidents who who I knew when I was younger. And, oh. uh, and he said, well, he said, you just were so relaxed. 
I said, yeah, I wasn't really inside. I wasn't feeling all that relaxed because I thought I don't want to end up burbling and going off topic and rambling incoherently and the people who were there who were aged 20 to 80 <laughs> I think what the heck's this bloke talking about but uh but you're like that you look so calm on the outside and that's what you got to do of course isn't it absolutely so, thank, you. thank you Zoe it's been uh it, it's always terribly interesting but I'm, I'm loving your perceptions as a trainee then you're going to be out there man <laughs> no don't say oh no you're going to be out there aren't you making a difference to, to all those young people and uh and how exciting is that going to be and aren't they lucky to look forward to to having you confucius he, he had a, a really simple quote and i think this really applies to you and i think it really applies to me actually and to all great teachers wherever you go go with all your heart yes because yes. you've got to love it, haven't you? If you want you children to love coming to school, you've got to love teaching them. And uh, and I think I think you've shown us that today. So what now, listeners? Is there something that Zoe has said that resonates with you? I do hope so. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please hit the subscribe button in your podcast app. We'll keep you updated on what's to come and more on Twitter at WhatNQT. I look forward to being with you next time for another thought-provoking educational chat. Until then, I'm Jeremy Crook, and this has been the latest podcast from What I Wish I Knew as an NQT slash ECT.